0: Okay, so we've got a lot more people here today than last week, which is not surprising. Um, so I'm Todd. Um, in fact, all the old guys who ever come in here are named Todd. So uh, if, if you are not sure, just say Todd, and you're probably right. Uh, um, and we're studying Abraham. So we're going to be in Genesis uh, 13, and it's not a lecture. Uh, it's a discussion, so if, if you know. I, I do it this way. However, if you have Genesis memorized, if you're, a, if, if you're a, a young Jewish Hebrew male of about 14 years old and you've memorized Genesis, you, you know, that's great. If not, uh, your phone is a great way to find it. Um, and here's what happened last week. We went over, we're talking about this guy named Abram, okay? Um, he's not Father Abraham yet. He's still Abram, the, the guy who came out of Ur and he's wealthy, and um, we, we set up this whole kind of just what was the world like and who is this person we're talking about and what was going on because that's important to understand these stories that get passed down to us about how God deals with this person named Abram, how this person named Abram deals with God um, because he is not like us at all. Um, He lives at a time when um, metals are just being invented. He lives at a time when language is, like written language, is a relatively new thing. And he lives at a time when nations, as we understand them, don't exist. Um, Egypt is the only permanent nation that exists in the world. Um, And then you get some... Like city-states conquering other city-states and forming things like the Akkadian Empire or the um, some of those earlier things, but as far as nations, that's not really a thing. Okay, which is weird but true. Uh, Egypt and maybe a couple of others are the only steady ones. And he is a wandering, very rich person. And so we went over all of that last time and talked about some things that happened. There was a famine. Nations don't exist, so they don't have the resources to stockpile things away. So you have to go where the food is. And because Egypt is in the Nile Valley and extremely lush, and and famine doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a big river valley, right? Um, He took all of his people down to Egypt, and we talked about that. So we're going to start in Genesis 13, okay? In Genesis 13, Abram's coming out of Egypt, okay? Um, now, remember, our whole study is what does God consider a crime versus what we may consider crime? And I'm talking like sin or trespass or unrighteousness. Okay? And how does God deal with that? Because that's what the Old Testament is, that's what Genesis is there for. It's to teach God's people who God is. And what God sees as righteous and what God doesn't see as righteous. Paul and Jesus plainly preach that. Paul actually says, the old law is the school teacher. Then he goes on to say, you know, we're past that. You should be past that now. Yes, but because we as modern Christians tend to not study the Old Testament nearly as much as the first century Christians did, because they were Jewish people, and they learned to speak Hebrew by, learning, by memorizing the Old Testament. Okay, um, We miss out, maybe, on a lot of the moral teachings about who God is. And, and Jesus and Paul assume their audience has all of that. Um, and so it's valuable for us to go back and look at this. And for those of you who haven't been here, we started in the garden and then we skipped a bunch, which I like to do, but uh, we're, we're on a time crunch. So we went straight to Abram. Okay, so that's where we are. Genesis 13, Abram and his nephew, Lot, um, the heir to the older brother in the family. So Lot has a bunch of stuff too, okay, come out of Egypt, uh, and they're traveling together. So somebody read, by the way, you've heard this story in Sunday school, I'm sure. Verses 1 through, um, okay, 1 through 9. Go.
1: So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been built earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land there. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left.
0: Okay. So, first of all, Abram and Lot are not just like, Oh, I've got three tents, and you've got three tents, and we've got some sheep. Okay? We find out later that in, in Abram's household alone, there are more than 300 trained soldiers that are traveling with him. Now, that doesn't count shepherds and wives and children. So we're really probably talking about two or 3,000 people traveling with each one of them. And all the herds and tents and transports that that involves... Okay? Um, that's the first thing you need to get here. This isn't like five-tenths and a donkey versus five-tenths and a donkey. This is a huge number of people moving together with lots of herd animals. Okay? And naturally, because they're moving together, um, grazing becomes an issue. The second thing that I find fascinating about this is, when they look out over the land, it's empty. As Abram says, look, there's all this empty land. That's, that's literally what he says. There's all this empty grazing land. There's plenty of it. Decide where you want to go. Okay, so here's my question to you. Who, based on the culture of the time, who is in ultimate charge of the whole group? Why? He's the oldest. Lot's his nephew. Now, Lot inherited his stuff from Abram's older brother, but but Abram has been in charge this whole time. If you don't know about how that works, Middle East Bedouin culture still works that way today. In fact, almost all nomadic cultures work that way. Even Native American cultures did, to some degree. The head of the family was in charge. Okay? So... Does Abram have to offer Lot anything? Now take yourself out of civilized 21st century Western culture and put yourself in, we fight for survival every day and our animals are our lives. Which is hard to do. Okay. What is Abram giving up by offering Lot first pick of the grazing lands? Up his pick. Yeah, he's also given up an easy stop. So, I mean, does he have to do that? Is it within Abram's right to say, hey, Lot, our guys are fighting, so they're not our guys anymore, they're just my guys? And any of you guys who don't like it, they're banished. Is that a legit thing? I'm just asking y'all. Is that legit? Would that solve the problem? Oh, yes, it would. Yeah, but once he banishes them, what are they going to do about it? Remember... This isn't America. Mm-hmm. If he banishes, like maybe there's five or six or ten herdsmen, mm-hmm. and he banishes them and their family, what happens to them?
1: Well, they can't really be self-sufficient. They either get up on the town and try to join out,
0: or they're you know, off the wilderness on their own. What towns? <laughs> Very violent ones. How, how were strangers generally treated these days? You're going to find that out later. What what were their odds? Not very good. That's correct. I mean, not very good. Actually, the women had a better chance of survival than the men because what was likely to happen is whoever they met kills the men and takes the women and the cattle and the sheep. That's just that's just the I mean that's what the world was like. Was Abram within his right if, if he'd said, your people are fighting with my people, so I'm banishing the ones who were involved. Is that a legit thing to do? Would he have been in the wrong to do that? Take yourself out of 20th century America. I'm going to give you a Star Trek thing. You ready? The good of the many outweighs the... Yeah, it's, it's utilitarianism if you're a philosophy person. The good of the, You can finish it even if you don't know. The good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one. For the good of everyone, I'm tossing the, your guys who are fighting with my guys out. Is that a legitimate moral decision? If, let me ask this. You're in a lifeboat and it's about to sink because it's overloaded. You let everybody die, or you toss a few out? Y'all saw the movie Titanic? You, You remember that scene? Yeah? It's hard for us to understand the decision that Abraham is making here because we don't lack for anything, ever. But he is coming back from Egypt, and he went there because of a famine. He went there because they were starving, because there was no food. And now they're coming back out. And suddenly, Lot's herdsmen are arguing with him, his guys, about grazing rights. I'm going to ask again would it have been okay for Abraham to say, Your people are causing disturbance in the camp, there'll be no more arguments, and I'm kicking those families out? (laughs) You're still looking at me. (laughs) As a leader, would that be a legit decision? Yes.
1: Demonstrates the Abram. Maybe, maybe this is, you know, that chose
0: Abram because he was an upright, and righteous man. He was, he was generous. He was merciful. In fact, it's the decision most of us would make. Now that's why no one wanted to talk. I'm just being honest. If I were in charge of this group, that's exactly the decision I would have made. I'm just telling you. I, I'm just being honest. That's the easy decision. It solves the problem right now, and everybody's okay. Now, yeah, is Lot maybe a little bit angry? Yeah, but you know, he'll get over it and we'll all be alive. Yeah? Well, I mean, that, some of them will live, probably, right? I mean, you know. Yeah? What does Abram do instead? He says, I don't want, I don't want any arguments between us because we're the same family. This hits me hard right now. If your family's like my family, we've argued a lot in the last year. Yeah? I'm just tossing that out there. Um, It's been a tough year with COVID, and the political scene has been just horrible. And my family is pretty large and pretty widely opinioned on a lot of things. And we have been at each other. And Abraham says to Lot, look, I love you. You're you're part of my family. Let's not even argue at all. Take the land you want, and I'll I'll find some other solution. Yeah? So what does Lot do? So, so if you can imagine a map of the Middle East, and here's Egypt, I'm doing it from your point of view. So here's Egypt, and, and this is the Mediterranean, and the Negev Desert's right here, right? And then Canaan is north of that, right? So they're doing this. Does that make sense? And, and the Jordan River runs north to south in Canaan. So they're on the west side of the Jordan, traveling north, and, and Lot looks east and says, that land looks good, I'll take it. Now. How many of y'all have heard this story in Sunday school, right? Y'all remember Yes? I'm just asking. Who's heard, who, who went over this story in Sunday school about Abraham and Lot splitting up? I, just, I mean, it's not like a bad or good thing. I'm just asking. So maybe only three or four of you have heard this story before? When I was in Sunday school, the teacher would always pause and go, because Lot was selfish. Yeah? I want you to think about this. They're coming out of Egypt. They go through the Negev, and they're going north, right? Okay? Where are they? They're in the southern part of Canaan, and the land that Lot goes to is, do I mean, like they're looking at it across the river, right? Mm-hmm. Is that selfish? Or is that Lot just saying, this looks good. Why don't I just stay here? Area? Well, it, it, he chooses a nice, I mean, he would be dumb to choose a place that doesn't look like it has good grazing, right? But the south part of Jordan, the south part there, is very lush. At the time, at least, it was very lush. And the scriptures plainly say it was very lush and it would provide, you know, and, and so Lot takes it. But, but here's my point. Abraham continues on into the north part of Canaan. Is it desert? No. Does Abraham know there's good grazing there? Yes, because he camped there before he went to Egypt at the Oaks of Mamre, which is where he's headed back to, and he knows there's plenty of good grazing there. And my point is this, Lot's not a bad guy here. We put that on him. The scriptures in no way describe this as a selfish decision by Lot It's a practical decision. There's no morality, good or bad, to Lot's decision. Abraham says, let's just divide up. And Lot says, well, here we are at some good grazing land. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. And Abraham says, fine, because I'm headed up here to the Oaks of Mamre anyway. Mm -hmm. And in Sunday school, I don't know how many times I was taught the lesson, Lot is not as good as Abraham because he's selfish. Now, I'm going to tell you, Genesis 13 through Genesis 17, it's all one big story. Actually, Genesis 18, I believe. It's little vignettes that lead to this big conclusion. Abraham is the father of the righteous. And each little vignette teaches something. And we find out later that Lot is just as righteous as Abraham. Because his righteousness and Abraham's righteousness is put up in contrast against the wickedness of Sodom. So Lot's not the villain here. If you were Jewish, you'd know that. Okay? I'm just tossing that out there. Lot struggles with some things, and Abraham struggles. Abram, struggle, he'll be Abraham in a little bit. Struggles with some things. But, but they both behave the same as far as like righteous people. Because Lot doesn't make a fuss here, and he doesn't, right? He just says, you're right. Hey, we're already here at this lush grazing land. Why don't I just move my people there? Okay? I'm just tossing that out there. Because I went into this story just like bias against Lot. Um, yeah? Have you lived your life biased against poor old Lot? Because I did. Just saying. I mean, he was kind of a jerk to Jacob. I'm not saying he was the best father, okay? <laughs> That's Isaac. Yeah, that's Abraham's son who was kind of a jerk in a lot of ways it turns out, but I, you know, I guess the threat of being killed as a young man. I don't know, but anyway, I, we're not going to get there. I do want I, that's another one I would like to talk about, but Yeah, 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 yeah. Rachel and Leah. Um, okay. Are, are we okay with this? So they split up. Okay, good. Let's move on. Uh I'm going to go through some of it real quick. So Abraham goes back to where he was to start with before they went to Egypt, which is these oaks of Mamre. I don't know what that is, but he's built an altar there too, and he's got buddies that own that land. Okay? Um, Let me get my Bible app back open here. That would be helpful. Okay. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Okay, now... Here's an interesting thing. Somebody look at uh, 14 and read 14 through 17.
1: And the Lord said to Abram, After that, Lot was separated from him. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever and I will make thy seed at the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk and the land of the midst of it, and the breath of it, for I will give it unto thee.
0: Okay. Interestingly, God's already made this promise. That's why Abram came to Canaan anyway. But he lets Lot go, and immediately afterward, God comes to him. Now, if you're wondering, that's not normal, even for Abram. He's only spoken in person to God about three times in his life, as far as we know. And he lets Lot go, and he's traveling north, and God comes to him and says, Remember what I promised you. All this land's going to be yours, as far east, north, south, and west as you can see, or even walk. Remember, that's my promise to you. Why do you think God comes to Abram and says that right after he lets Lot Go. I'm, that's not a leading question I'm asking. Why do you think God decides? I, mean, I have a theory. As a for being in I, that's my theory. I think God's putting a check like, I, Hey Abram, I want to reinforce this behavior. Right? This brought you closer to me. You were merciful and, and not only merciful, you went above and beyond and remember that's the kind of behavior that I like. Now y'all, again I can't emphasize enough Abram comes out of a pagan culture his father was probably a pagan priest and there's a good chance, well everyone in the land around him is pagan and, and and God is trying to reinforce this behavior that is not like the people around him. So he says, hey, good job. This is this is a pat on the back. Remember, you're my guy. I appreciate you doing that. You're looking like my, my person now. Just tossing that out there. I'm, I don't know. I, again, I don't, I don't know that's why. But, but there's not really any reason for that to happen, except, and we're gonna see that pattern over and over again. Abram does something that God approves of, God appears to him, like a pat on the back, okay? All right, so he goes north, settles back in this place, he built an altar there, he built an altar near where he let Lot go in the south, okay? By the way, if you go to the Holy Land and take a tour, you can still go see those places, just letting you know. Um, you can travel this path if you want to. Haven't ever done it? It's on my bucket list. All right. And that takes us to Genesis 14. Okay. Now. <clears throat> so there's there's vignette. Y'all know what vignette means? Yeah, thank you. I was going to refer to the English teacher in the room. but It means small story. Right? Vignette 1. What... Here's what righteousness looks like. When you're having a family argument, be merciful. Be willing to take the hit. I think that's probably applicable to all of us because no one gets angrier than families. You know each other so well and, and you live so close and, and you've grown up and, and, and there's so much emotion involved that family feuds are the worst. And the most hurtful, and I think the lesson in that vignette is when you're having an argument in your family, be merciful, and and take the hit if you have to, to make it okay. That's that's where it hits me, um, and I can tell you I'm not the best person at that. Okay, um, Abram probably better, no doubt. Abram, no doubt, a better guy than I am with that. Okay. Here's vignette number two in this big overarching story. Somebody read... Oh, well, there's a lot of names here. Okay. I'm going to summarize the first few verses, and then we can, um, then we can talk about it. If you, if you go through verses... Blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so up through verse 12. Here's what happens. There are these cities of the plain near in south Canaan where Lot settled. You'll recognize some of them, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then some others. And they're really city-states. They have their own kings, right? And they sort of control the land near them. And they rebel against these northern kings who kind of are the big bosses in the area. OK? And the northern kings spank them. Um, in fact, they beat them so bad that the king of Sodom and one of the other kings, as the, in the rout, as they're trying to run away, actually fall into tar pits, if you want to read through that. okay. And so, because they routed them so bad, the northern kings sacked the southern cities. And they take all the riches and some people hostage. And guess who some of the hostages are? It's Lot and his household. And some of the stuff they took was Lot's stuff. And they marched back north. okay. One of the survivors of the battle comes to Abraham and says, Abram still, and says, Hey, these kings just sacked the south, and your nephew got taken prisoner in the north with all of his people and all his possessions. And Abram says, I can't let that happen. So he, he gets together all the people in his house who are trained soldiers 300 and something. Which doesn't sound like a lot to us, but remember, this is back when a city was a kingdom. And the cities weren't big cities. They might have a thousand people in them, which means 300 soldiers is as big as most king's armies. Yes? And we find out later, toward the end of the story, that Abram doesn't just take his people. His buddies, whose land he's grazing on, send their people too. They're apparently big, rich people too. Yeah? And so they take this army north, and they attack by night. Sneaky. And they route these five kings, and they get all the stuff. And they're taking all the people and all the stuff back south. Okay? So um, that's because there were a lot of names and places in there. It's kind of confusing when you read it. Here's what I want someone to read. Don't they, like, kill the kings, or is that a different
1: story? Uh,
0: It's a different. No, that's not this one. Um, Okay. Start reading in... Yeah, so start. somebody read 17 through the end of chapter 14. 14, 17 through the end. We're going to pause. This will be about as far as we get today, I think. Come on, y'all. Anybody? And
1: the king went. Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of chi dor near and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shemai, which the king sailed. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hands. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have left up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from the thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will take anything that is thine, lest thou shalt say. I have made Abram rich. Take only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me. And near, and
0: Marmory, let them take their portion. Okay, I, I'm going to translate that into like 20th century English. Okay, Abraham is marching back after mashing this coalition of five kings, and he's bringing back all the people and riches that they had captured. Okay, and the king of Sodom comes out to meet him probably not the original king of Sodom, because he fell in a tar pit, remember? Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe his son, or whatever, who knows? Okay, and also, so the king of Sodom comes up to meet him. Also, the king or priest, it depends on how, who the translator is and how they translate it, of Salem, almost certainly the Canaanite city that becomes Jerusalem. Hear the Salem in Jerusalem? yes, okay, comes out to meet him. Now, Salem was not in this fight. Like, it raged up and down across their land, right? Okay, comes out to meet Abraham, Abram, okay? And so they all have this big confab right there, probably near Jerusalem, okay? And here's what the king of Salem says. Now, I want you to hear this. Okay, And you judge whether this is a really terrible guy. The king of Salem says to Abraham, just give me back my people. Keep all the riches. I just want my people back. That's the king of Sodom. Make your judgment on him right now. Bad guy, good guy. Abraham, you can keep all the riches that were stolen from my city. Just give me my people back. What does that sound like to you? Yeah? Okay. So, let me let me pause there and skip ahead. So, the, the problem with Sodom wasn't that the people of Sodom didn't care about each other. Fair enough. Okay. Now we're going to skip back to this. And this... Melchizedek guy, who has not been mentioned before and never gets mentioned again, pops into the story from Salem and comes in and publicly in front of everyone says I'm a priest of, now for those of you who are into like words and translations, okay, the most high god in Hebrew um, El Elyon, okay, that's probably a not any, you almost have to hock a loogie when you do Hebrew every time, so it's probably something really much more guttural than that. But, but El, meaning God, Elion meaning above everything or higher or the most high. So the priest of the God above all others. Yes? Okay? And, and, it, and that, that phrasing, this is the first time in the Bible you see that phrasing mm-hmm. ever. And it's used four times in this passage. That's significant. Okay? Most High God, El Elion. Okay? This priest of the Most High God comes out of Salem and says, I'm the priest of the Most High God and Abraham is a servant of him. Publicly. This is the first time publicly that anyone has been told Abraham is a servant of this Most High God. Now, Abraham knew that, but remember we talked about this in the setup, right? Abraham's family was this Most High God with a name of, we don't know it, but the Hebrew abbreviation is Y-W-H something because they won't pronounce God's name. So we really know what his name is. Yahweh would be what we would say in English, but we don't know if that's what... But that's the literal name of this God. And Abraham's family has served this God. But remember, everyone's polytheistic, so they would think it's one of the gods. Yes? But this priest calls this God, the God of all the gods, the Most High God, the Supreme God and declares Abraham as his servant, which Abraham knew, but you know, all these other people didn't, Mm -hmm. and then blesses him. And fascinatingly enough, Abraham takes a tenth of everything that he recovered and hands it to the priest as a sacrifice for the Most High God. Now, how many of you have ever heard of tithing? If you haven't heard of tithing, it's giving a tenth. Yes? Where did that come from? Well, yes, it came from Judaism. And in the law, God says, I'd like a tenth, please. Just like your father Abraham gave. Right here. Okay? Which which tells us this. Now, this is the big important thing, because we're talking about, what does God consider righteous and good versus not? It tells us that the stuff that Abraham captured was rightfully his. We miss that. We're like, oh, he gave a tenth. And we focus on, should I give a tenth before taxes or after taxes? Has nothing to do with it. The point of the story is, Abraham gives a tenth of the stuff he captured as as tribute to God, which means the stuff he captured is his. Now, does does that make sense to y'all? Yes or no? That by all the laws of the land, and even in the eyes of God, that stuff is Abraham's at this point. And in the eyes of the king of Sodom, right? Because he says, hey, keep all that stuff. It's yours. Just give me my people back. Yes? What, is, you know, this is, what does Abraham do with the stuff that is his? He gives a tenth to God and then what does he do? He He gives it all back. In fact, he says this. I've raised my hand to the Lord which means I've sworn a vow. By the way, y'all. I'm just going to toss this out of there. there's, There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't swear vows. There's everything in the Bible that says don't break them. When Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, He's talking to people who would swear vows, but they thought the wording meant they could get out of them. Mm-hmm. And what He's saying is, whether you swear a vow or say I'm going to do it, it's a vow. Mm-hmm. But especially in the Old Testament, if you swear a vow to God, you better carry through or die trying. Mm-hmm. Okay? And what Abraham says is, I raise my hand to the Lord. That's, that's, that means I swore a vow to God, that I would not keep this stuff. I didn't go to fight this to get stuff. And even though it's my right to keep it, I'm gonna hand it all back. Okay? Because I don't want anyone to say, Abraham just did this to get rich. Well, what does he want him to say? Plainly from the context, it's Abraham did this because it's the right thing to do. Yes? Okay, now, I want you to think about this. Abraham is very wealthy. What tends to happen to people who are very wealthy? Well, yeah, but what tends to happen to them internally? I, and, and they focus on getting more wealthy. Isn't that the danger we all face in our society? Mm -hmm. That our whole modus operandi becomes getting more stuff? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to college and major in this, not because the world needs more of these, but because the salary is great. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying Abraham was a better person than that. He put his life and his people's life at risk to do the right thing, not to gain more stuff, Right? But be, because it was the right thing to do, get, because his family was in danger. Yeah? And then he hands it all back, all of it, except, and, and this is fascinating to <laughs> me, he says, my allies, let them keep what they want to keep. If, if they want to keep the stuff, it's rightfully theirs, so let them keep it. But my stuff, you can have back. And there's two pieces to this. One is, this is a problem for all of us. If we're trying to do the right thing and someone else may not make the same decision, that doesn't mean they're wrong. That's the whole point of Abraham saying, I'm going to give all the stuff that I captured back, but my allies here who went with me If they want to keep it, it's their right to keep it. Mm -hmm. That makes him an even better person. Mm -hmm. Because he's the big chief muckety-muck at this meeting. He could force them to give it back. Yes? Yes? I'm just tossing that out there. What happens right after this? Look in the next chapter, 15. I'm just, no, we're not going to go through 15. But what happens right after Abraham, this whole ceremony, what happens? Oh, God comes to him again. See the pattern? And God comes to him again and promises him a son. Wait, hasn't he already done that? Yes, yes he has. Well, why does he come to him again and promise him a son? I contend... God's reinforcing righteous behavior. Mm -hmm. What was righteous about this? I went to rescue people who needed rescuing, and I didn't go there for the possessions, for the materials. Mm -hmm. In fact, by giving the stuff back to the king of Sodom and the other cities that had it looted, he made it so those people could survive, Mm -hmm. right? Because their town had been looted and their stuff had been taken. Mm -hmm. They would have had to start all over. And some of them would have survived, but not all of them. And he basically says, I'm going to make it so that you're going to be okay. I didn't just correct the situation. I made it okay for you. Mm -hmm. It's above and beyond. That's what is righteous about that. Okay? I would contend. Rabbis might contend that. Just saying. So in the next chapter, and we'll look at that next week, God comes to Abraham and God swears a vow to Abraham. Now, I do want to preview this. God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. Your word's going to be really great. And Abraham questions him over and over and then demands a sign from God. If you've ever been taught that questioning God is a bad thing, I challenge you to look at all the great people of the Bible because every one of them to God's face questions Him. Every one of them and God doesn't take offense at that. I'm going to postulate this because God wants real relationships and it's not a relationship if you haven't had some questions and arguments. Just tossing that out there. If if one of you is just a yes person in a relationship by the way, this is good romantic advice. If you're in a romantic relationship and all you ever do is go, okay, okay, that's not a relationship. I'm just saying. God doesn't want that from his people. Moses argues with God. Abraham argues with God. Jacob argues with God. Everyone argues with God. Who, God selects those kind of people to be his people because he wants real people and real relationships. But we'll look at that next week if you guys are here. Okay, look, we're out of time. Abraham gonna represent God's righteousness to the people, we'll find out later, why? Because he does these things above and beyond and every time he does them, God appears and says, hey, good job, let me promise something to you. It's a pattern, okay, Um, for what that's worth. And also, Abraham, a lot better guy than me. I'm just saying. I, I would like to be that good a person, but he's the guy God chose to be the father of his people, so he had to be a pretty special guy. Yeah? Okay, good. Um, if you get a chance to show mercy to people in your family this week, give that a shot because I know that's been hard for me the last year or so.